This last year, to my knowledge, that is, and let me caveat that, I don't know everything, contrary to what I think I might. Um, this last year, as far as I know, we had eight people in our church commit to reading the Bible in 90 days. I believe that five of them finished on time, and three of us, myself included, finished a few days after. To my knowledge, we had an additional five or six who read the Bible through cover to cover this year. We had one who read the Bible three times this year. I want to begin today by asking a few questions. Have you ever read the Bible all the way through in any amount of time? Have you ever, in that, sat down, and maybe it was over a month or 90 days or a year or maybe even over five or ten years, know that you have read every word of Scripture? How much time do you spend in God's Word every day? How much time do you spend in God's Word every week? How about every month? And what kind of numbers are we looking at if you think about how much time you spend in God's Word over the course of a year? For some of us, those numbers may be very high. For some of us, those numbers may be very low. And I would venture to guess that many of us fall somewhere between those two extremes. Have you ever found yourself stagnant in your faith, not growing, not seeing or feeling the Lord move in your life, weak in temptation, or wishing for more? Do you love God's word? Or do you just like it? Or are you someone who really does their best to steer clear of the Word of God? I want you to be thinking about these questions as we move forward. And before we move forward, I need to pray. We need to pray because I am convinced that our love for God's word must come from God himself. I know that because there is no amount of my choosing that causes me to love his word more. I can want it, but if God doesn't make it happen in me, it just doesn't seem to work. And as this is where we're going to be today, I'd like for all of us to be willing to go to the Lord right now and say, Lord... I want to love your word. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we come to you right now and we pray that you would guide us in this. We pray that you would cause in us a holy affection for the word of God. That you would cause in us a desire, a motivation, a reason to be found in your word every single 
day. We pray, Lord, that you would work in us what we cannot work in ourselves. And I pray, God, that through the words that I would speak today, that we would hear that we as a church would be able to move forward in the Word of God in a new and, and awesome, powerful way this year. I pray that you would inspire us and lead us today. And God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, we're going to answer one important question today. And that question is this. Why must we be in the Word of God regularly and deeply? Why must we be in the Word of God regularly and deeply? You know, Dan, that's a great answer. I'm glad we baptized you a couple weeks ago. Because everything we do and say should be a reflection of God. That's Dan's answer. Amen. We're going to go there and more today. What I want to do today is look at four loves that we should have as a believer or as believers that will cause us, if we have them, to find ourselves in God's Word. Four loves that we must have. And I just want to tell you, none of them is a love for God's Word. I'm not going there today. That's taken for granted, I think. That's for the end goal. That's the object. So four loves that we need to have in order for us to be found, to drive us into the Word of God. The Word that will cause us to grow and our love to grow, even for those things that we have to have a love for. The first, let me start here, is for the love of God. Okay? For the love of God. And yes, I'm saying it that way on purpose. We throw that phrase around as a culture. For the love of God. Yes, exactly. Friends, if you love God, then you will read this book. If you love God, you will read this book. At first, at first, we do so to see what God wants from us, to see what he wants for us, to see what he might make of us. We look in this book at first, many of us, to see what he asks of us. And that's a great place to start. John 14, 15. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, friends, what does he command? He commands what's in this book. How can we possibly keep his commands if we don't know them? And so at first we are driven, I think, into the pages of this book so that we can learn, so that we can know what he says, what he calls us to, the kinds of people we're supposed to be, his commands, his will from us. And it's at this point that I, I need to say something that I don't really want to say, I don't like it, but it's something that has become painfully obvious in my own life and in the life of our church And it's this, 
I am not sure how anyone can claim to love God if they don't spend time in God's word. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. If you don't read his word, how do you know what he says to do? People who love God love to hear from God. They love to hear his words. If you love someone, then you want to know what they say and what they think. And you want to know how you can please them. So at first, we enter God's word to see what God wants of us, wants from us, wants for us. But then something happens. See, then our love for God grows. Because what happens when you go in this book looking for what God wants of us, what we encounter, isn't necessarily what he wants from us. It's what he's done for us. We begin to see this living God who has created everything and loves us and cares for us. So see that at first, we're driven there to find out what we must do and what we discover is a God who's done it all already. And our love for God grows as we get into the Word. Driven to the text, we see God, and when we see God, and I mean really see Him, we are compelled to keep seeing Him, to keep reading, to hear from our God, from our Lord and Savior, to keep seeing and hearing and from all of that seeing and hearing to know our God and to know his love for us. Hear this, church. God loves you. He loves you. And he has told you, and he's told me that on every page of this book. Every page now, there's a children's Bible that we read to our kids. Some of you may have seen this before. Um, I think we've given a copy to almost every family in our church at some point or another. If you are a family and haven't received a copy of this, let me know. Um, this is the, the, the one that we use. And if you look at it um, in our house, then, then you find pages that are misaligned now because we've had to tape them back in. Right? This is a, a well-loved kids book we've been using for years. I want to share with you what this book, how this book introduces the Bible. Yes, it's a kid's book. Yes, we can learn from that. Amen? <laughs> God wrote, I love you. He wrote it in the sky and on the earth and under the sea. He wrote his message everywhere because God created everything in his world to reflect him like a mirror to show us what he is like, to help us know him, to make our hearts sing. The way a kitten chases her tail, the way red poppies grow wild, the way a dolphin swims, and God put it into words, too. And he wrote it in a book called the Bible. Now, some people think the Bible is a book of rules, telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. 
Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but as you'll soon find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run away. At times, they are downright mean. No. The Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of the story, there's a baby. And every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in a puzzle. The piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. The Bible is a love story. It's an adventure story. It's a true fairy tale that tells us how much God loves us. And that's unbelievable. Before cell phones, when two teenagers loved each other or thought they loved each other, as probably the case of most of us, they would write notes. Some of you remember this? <laughs> I remember in the halls getting passed a note by a girlfriend, you know, and we'd, you'd hand notes as you walked classes and you'd rearrange your, how you got to classes so that you could pass because you spent the class period writing a note and then you spent the next one re writing another one. Two years ago, my dad pulled out a box of all of those notes from my life at Christmas time. I don't even know if my wife knows this. It's the first time I had seen them in decades. I thought they were gone. And it brings back this flood of memories, right, of, of sitting there reading and studying the words of someone that I thought I loved. And I'll just tell you, those notes are now in the trash, okay? Because you don't need to hold on to those things when you are actually in love with someone, when you're actually married to the one that you want to spend the rest of your life with. And so these are all the right things to say when your wife's in the room, right? <laughs> but let me just say this. How much more so should we study the words of the one who crossed eternity to love us? and wrote them and gave them the pages, that we would have them forever. How much more love do we find in Scripture than in a silly 16-year-old's love notes? Scripture is powerful. It's living and active. Scripture has, has done something amazing in my life, and I think in almost everybody's life in this room, when I think about the power of Scripture, and I think about what it does to skeptics and atheists, to enemies of the faith, who finally consent to sit down and read this, 
and give their lives to Jesus. See, Scripture is powerful. And it introduces to a living and loving God. If you love God, then you will read this book. Let me say it this way. If you would like to keep from loving God, then keep your Bible closed. You cannot help but love God when you are in this book. But if you'd like to keep from loving God, then keep your Bible closed. All right, the second love, the second love is a, is a love to endure. A love to endure. I want to go to Revelation chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. I feel like I'm going to lose my voice today. <laughs> Revelation 3, verses uh, 10 through 12. Revelation is one of those books that's a complete mystery to a lot of us. It's one of my favorite books. There it is. Here's what it says. It says, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole house, or on the whole world, to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven in my own new name. Now, the book of Revelation is a lot of things to a lot of people. You can argue all day about the different uh, variations of what end times might look like or what the specifics of timelines and all of these things, and people do. I never want to do that. That's not my love for the book of Revelation. I love the book of Revelation because it puts me in the throne room of God. And there's nothing I can do but worship when I'm in the throne room of God. One of the major themes in the book of Revelation is the theme to endure. The theme to be faithful, even when everything around us is crashing and burning. And here to the letter, or this letter to this church in Philadelphia, they are told that because they've kept his word, that's God's word, about patient endurance, it says he will keep them. He will preserve them even through the fiery trials that are coming. It does not mean they will be spared from them, but it means that on the other side, they will still be faithful. They will still be Christian. They will not have given up their faith, though there may be those who would persecute them because of it. And what they are promised in the end is that they will be given a crown. Christian, you are promised, if you would endure to the end, that God would give you a crown. Now that really excites my daughter. This idea that she's going to get a crown, right? We were talking about it the other day. It should excite all of us. But what does it take to endure? It tells us right here to follow his what? His word. 
Church, if you want to endure, you must be in the Word. This life is full of pitfalls, hidden traps, problems, sorrows. Our own histories that would seek to overwhelm us with guilt. Our temptations that would threaten to throw us into an abyss. Satan wants nothing more than to cause you to fall and to fail and to walk away. But if you love the idea of enduring, if you would love enduring itself, then we must love to be in God's Word. To eat it, to live it, to consume it. Because there's nothing else that will help us endure more than God's Word. Psalm 119, verse 105. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You only need a lamp and a light when it's dark. The only time we're going to trip is when it's dark and we can't see. But God's word illuminates our path. It shows us where we should go and what we should do and how we should walk, even down to the minutest of steps. If you want to endure, you must be in God's Word. On the other hand, if you would like to fall and fail in your faith this year, then keep your Bible closed. Our third love, our third love, that will get us and keep us in the word is a love of the church. A love of the church. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Let me read this for us. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Now, real quick. He gave them these gifts that are listed, but he also gave them all the other gifts. They're part of this too. It's not just the prophets, the teachers, the evangelists, the preachers, the teachers. It's not just them that he's given for this purpose. It's every Christian who has a gift. And if you are a Christian, let me just tell you, you have a gift. It's promised that the Holy Spirit would gift us. Why? Verse 12 to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we might all attain it, that we might all build each other up in the body. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we, all of us, we, are to grow up in every way into him who is the head in Christ, from whom the whole body, joined together, held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Builds up. We must be building. You see this language here that every one of us should be a part of the building up of every one of us. 
Church, I want to tell you something. It's not my job alone to build you all up. It's not mine and Scott's job to build you all up. It's not mine, Scott's, and Stephen's job to build you all up. It's not mine, Scott, Stephen's, and Rebecca's, and Sherry's. I could just keep going, right? I'm not gonna. It is the job of every believer to build each other up. This word build is the very word encourage. Encourage. Now, I love the word encouraging. I love it. I love to encourage. I'm not as good as it as some people I know, but if you read scripture, what you read is that over and over again, Christians are called to encourage one another. We're called to encourage all over the place. But encouragement is not just telling someone, hey, you're good at this. That could be part of it. Encouragement is not vain flattery. Encouragement is not just speaking niceties to one another. Clearly in the context of Ephesians chapter 12, to build up, to encourage one another is full of scripture and life, the truth, the word of God. It is. We're actually told that, that that will help us not be swept around by winds of doctrine. That means false things that people say that just aren't true. And that all of us can be built up into the fullness of Christ. That requires scripture. What I want you to know and I want you to hear is that in order for you to be a part of the church the way you're supposed to be, building each other up, it requires that you be a Bible-saturated believer. It requires that every one of us be living in the Scriptures all the time so that when we meet with someone, when we're talking with someone, we might encourage them not just to say, hey, good for you. but We might say, hey, here's what the Scripture's calling you to. Here's what the scripture's calling me to. Do you want to get together and work on that, get that, to that together? If we're going to do that, we need to be in the word. We need to love God's word. I know someone whose goal every day when they read scripture is to read it until God speaks to them. I actually really like that view. To read it. I mean, because a lot of us, right, we, we pick up, we read one verse, like, all right, great. And we close it and we go on with our day. He's committed to reading it until God speaks to him. Until God says, this is what I want you to know today. What will help you, what will bless you. I think that's great. I don't think it goes far enough. What if we read scripture until it speaks for me to speak to Randy or any one of you? What if I approached the scriptures every single morning and said, Lord, I'm not putting this book down until you give me an encouraging word to bring to Cynthia. Or until you bring an encouraging word to speak to somebody in our church or to my neighbor. And I search and I search and I read and I read so that, so that scripture might become how I encourage you all. And what if you did the same? What if in 2021 we had a church full of people who every morning was read their Bibles until God spoke to them about them and then spoke to them about someone else and we committed to sharing that with each other? To saying, hey, I was in the Word today and the Lord spoke to me on this verse and said, you really, really need to hear it. I don't know why, but here it is. What if we as a church in 2021 read our Bibles not just for us, but for the church? 
for each other. If you'd like to be disengaged and disconnected from the church this year, then leave your Bible closed. Our fourth love. Our fourth love is for the love of people. For the love of people. Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Many of us are going to be familiar with this. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Verse 37, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. In a second like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now let me point out to you, at the time that Jesus said this, the Bible was incomplete. The only thing they had was all the law and the prophets. The implication there is that what is the entirety of Scripture summed up into? To love God and love people. We started this sermon with loving God. We end it now with loving people. To love people. If you love people, then you will be in God's word this year. If you love your lost neighbor, your lost family members, your lost coworkers, the lost people in this community and around the world of, of every tribe, tongue, and nation, then church, you will be in the word this year. Colossians 3, 1 through 2. It says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And what does that have to do with loving people? Church, it has everything to do with loving people. Because if our minds are set on heavenly things, on earthly things, then when we look around at the people in our lives who don't have the hope of Christ, who don't have the life of Christ flowing in them, then what we are going to be most concerned about is that they would, is that they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. On the other hand, if we spend all our time and energy thinking on earthly things, thinking on the things of my problems, my finances, my this and my that, what we're never going to do is open our mouths about Jesus to anybody. But when we get into the Word, one of the things that happens is that God sets our mind on things beyond us. Those things will land for us in the love of people. The second way this works is that People like you and I who spend a ton of time in Scripture, it was funny, uh, Don Griggs said this in Sunday school today. The more time I spend in the Word, the more time I see how sinful and broken I am. The more time 
And this is a hazard, just so you know, about spending lots of time in the Word. The more time we spend in the Word, the more time we see how sinful we are, how broken we are, how messed up we are. We see new and creative ways that we didn't even know that we are sinning. You're like, Pastor Matt, why are you saying this with a smile? Because I am, and it's on purpose. Because the more time that I see my sin, you know what I also see? I see my need for a Savior. I see my need for a Savior who loves me despite the fact that every single day I design and figure out a new way to sin against Him. It's amazing. See, the thing is, the more time I spend in Scripture, the less time I can look at my neighbors and think, wow, you people are messed up. The more time that I spend in scriptures, the more time that I see that my messed up neighbor and family members have the same exact heart that I do. And the only difference is that Christ has already worked in here. Christ has already saved this. And what they need is a savior. So the more time I spend in the Word, the more time that my eyes are on heavenly things, and the more time that I see my neighbor as the same as myself, and know how much they need the eternity that I have a hope in. Yeah. Yeah. He wants to do the same work in, in others that he's done in us. Absolutely, Dan. On the other hand, if you would like to let your neighbor struggle in this life and eternity apart from God, then keep your Bible closed. But there's a better way. There's a better way. If you want to love God and love Him more and more, or if you want to endure through whatever comes in 2021, and friends, I think it might be worse than 2020. Or if you want to love and encourage the church or to love your neighbors and the lost and friends, guess what we need to be about this year? We need to be about being in the Word. We don't keep it closed, right? We, we open it, we keep it open. And so here's a few thoughts on this to finish our time. Number one, what we need to do is commit to it and find somebody to commit to it with. You need, I'm just going to tell you this, you need to commit to being in the Word this year and find somebody else to commit to it with you. The best thing, the easiest thing to do to stay in the Word is to find somebody who's going to read the same things you are every day. To say, hey, look, I want to read the Bible in a year. Would you do that with me? We'll start here. We'll go here. That way, you both know when you're in the hard parts to make it through. So you do your Bible reading first, and you're slogging through Leviticus or some other spot that's just a little bit harder to move through, and you send your buddy a text and say, hey, Today's a rough one, but I'm with you. I made it, so can you. Find somebody to commit to, to read it with. What do I mean by commit to? Find a reading plan to read through the Bible 
in some fashion this year. Now, you can handle the 30-day. 30-day is crazy, okay? Recommended for retired people and people with no lives, okay? It's a lot. You could read the 90-day plan. Now, I'll just tell you, when I do the 90-day plan, it's about an hour and 10 minutes a day. Now, I'm a pretty fast reader, so it may be a little longer for some of you. Or the Bible in a year, which to me, for me, what I'm doing is roughly about 20 minutes a day. To read the Bible this year, you could spend 20 minutes a day. Now, you're already three days behind, so you'll have to catch up a little bit. So that means um, 20.1 minutes a day. Okay, that's all it takes to catch up on two days that you've missed already. It does not take long to, to catch up on two days. Or maybe it just says, you know what I want to do this year? I'm going to read the book of Matthew. I'm just going to read the book of Matthew. I'm going to live in the book of Matthew this year. I'm going to do that all year. That's another option. You don't need to plow through. That's just one way to do it. So first you need to commit to it. The second thing you need to do is read it. You need to be in it. You need to actually do it. I want to tell you, reading your Bible by yourself is actually the easiest way to do it. And here's why. You wake up in the morning, you open your Bible, and you do it. Right? It's, it's the easiest way to do it. Because you can just do it. The reason you don't do it is because you don't want to do it. We talked about that in Sunday school today, too. <laughs> Read it. You will get to something that you don't understand, though. Because I do. You get to something as you're reading and you think, what does that mean? The first thing you do is say, Holy Spirit, what does this mean? And sometimes the Holy Spirit will tell you, that's what it means. And you're like, oh, great, now I can move on. Other times you're going to write it down. And you're going to go to Scott and you're going to say, Scott, what does this mean? Or you're going to call me and you're going to say, Pastor Matt, what does this mean? And I'm going to say, well, I think it might mean this, but let's figure it out together. One of the favorite things of my week and I love it when this happens, is when somebody calls me and says, hey, I was in the Word, and I didn't understand this. Can you help me out? Those are the best phone calls a pastor gets. Bless us. Bless us by asking us questions like that. You can also read the Bible in community, though. You can read the Bible in community. For some of us, that feels a little bit uncomfortable. We don't really know how to do that. But what does that look like? Try this, Okay. Get some friends together, sit down, and read it. Really, it's that simple, okay? Sit down and read it. And if you need a question to ask each other, here's the question you ask each other. What stands out to you? Last night, three of us got together to do this. We talked for an hour and a half. It was the easiest thing I did all day. And it was a blessing. That was prompted by one of those people earlier in that day just saying, sending out a text and saying, hey, can we get together today and read some scripture and talk about it? My point is, it's not hard. It's, it's simple. We can do this. We can do this. Here's another option, particularly for you married couples. This year, Betsy and I are reading the Bible in a year together. 
So what that means for us is that every night at about 9.30, 9.40, we're going to sit down and we are reading it out loud to each other. And we're taking turns reading a passage. I read it to her and then she reads one to me. And we do that and then at the end we pray. And it's about 25 to 30 minutes when you're reading out loud. It's a little slower to read. Um, and that means that Betsy and I are going to spend um, a significant amount of time together in the Word of God this year. And that's powerful, I expect. It's not something I've ever done. We've been married for 15 years, and we've never done something like this. Next up, right, we had commit to it, we had read it, now we need to do what? We need to study it. We need to study it. As you're reading, you can look up answers to your questions. You can Google it. <laughs> Sometimes there's really good answers you can find on Google. Not every answer on Google is a good answer, though. I will caution you in that. There are Bibles called study Bibles. That on the bottom of every page, they have commentary about what the rest of it's about. One of the ones I recommend the most and most of the time is the ESV study Bible. There's a copy of it on our shelf back there if you want to take a look at it. He's got one right there too. It's great because it's, it's got a lot of information and it, it really helps when you want to study it and you're by yourself. Like I said, call someone. Phone a friend. Phone a pastor. Hey, what does this mean? It is a blessing. I think it would probably be a blessing, not just to the pastors, but to anybody in this room to get a call from one of the other members of our church and say, hey, I was in the Word. Do you know what this means? Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't you love to get a phone call like that? All right, so we commit to it, we read it, um, we study it, and then what? Um, we memorize it. We memorize it. Now, I came from a tradition that did not do a lot of Scripture memory. Really, we didn't do any. But I know some of you came from traditions where you memorize this and this. I mean, it's crazy how much Scripture you have memorized. I believe for a lot of years that I could not memorize Scripture, that it wasn't my gift. And then someone taught me a system once, and within six months I had the first half of the book of Hebrews memorized word for word all the way through. I could teach you that system. Ask me. I'd love to teach it to you. Memorize it. One verse at a time. Chunks of it. However that looks. Verses that matter to you. That mean something to you. Those verses that are a go-to when temptation is knocking at its door and you're trying to figure out how to not and that verse comes. You say, that's the verse. Memorize that. So that every time that temptation comes, you speak it. You can speak it out loud. It's powerful. Or those key verses that just encourage other people. Hey, do you know that the scriptures say this? And you could tell somebody that and then build somebody up with the word of God, even if you don't have, have the ability to open a Bible in that moment and read it to them. Friends, the last thing that I want to say here is that most of us would not turn down a free, delicious meal. Right? I mean, if I said right now, hey, everybody, we're having steak downstairs for lunch after church. We got potatoes, we got some shrimp, cocktail. We got a feast, and it's free. We'd love for you to just come and hang out with us and fellowship with us. I mean, how many of you would be like, nope, got something better to do? Almost none of us. 
Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, man cannot live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Man lives by the word of God, not by what he eats. And yet how many of us skip the most delicious and amazing feast every day? Or often, if God's word is truly what we love, then why would we miss that meal? The most important meal of the day. Why would we miss it? Church, if you don't love God's word like this, I just want to invite you to pray. When we come forward in a few minutes for communion, this will be a great prayer time to ready your heart to say, Lord, I want to love God's word like this. Or I want to love God's word better than this, even more so than what I'm describing today. But if you love God, and you love to endure, and you love the church, and you love people, then you will love God's word, and you will read it. Or you'll keep it closed. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much. I thank you so much for your word that teaches, that instructs, that guides us, that challenges us. And Lord, I pray today that you would speak. Lord, I know, and at least I would venture to guess, that, that there is no one in this room who loves your word like this. And Lord, I pray that you would work in us today, that you would cause us to love your word in this way, Lord, that we would commit our, our lives to you through the word, the reading of the word this year. I do pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here who's just resistant to this, who's saying in their own heart, you know what, I don't want that. God, I pray that you would, that you would speak to them and guide them to the truth. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that are, that are just saturated, living in, eating, consuming your word this year. And I pray that you would show us what that does for us, how that causes us to grow, how it causes our faith to increase, our knowledge, understanding, but I think, Lord, most of all, our love for you and passion for you. God, fix in us what we cannot fix ourselves. Make right in us what cannot be made right. Let us love and desire your word more than anything else that we might know and love and see you and desire you more than anything else. And God, we come before you in all of this. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.